Hi everyone. I hope everyone is having a great day. Today I'll be interviewing Professor Cisneros. I will let him introduce himself very soon. I want to preface that this is a part one to a two-part series. I also want to thank Professor Cisneros for doing it. I hope everyone enjoys. Let's get right into it. So yeah, my name is Carlos Cisneros. I'm a former lecturer at UC Berkeley, kind of in between jobs at the moment. And uh, I'm a linguist. Uh, I got my PhD in linguistics from the University of Chicago. Um, linguistics is basically the science of, of language. Uh, basically, the methodologies developed to study language as sort of a, as a, as a social phenomenon or as at least some kind of scientific entity, right? And... Uh, and uh, my specialty within that is uh, semantics, the, the subfield that is called semantics, which is the, the study, basically the study of meaning. Uh, more specifically, it's the study of how, of um, the types of propositions that, uh, that human beings or just language speakers kind of, kind of trade off with one another. another uh, um, what is the sort of the logical structure of those propositions and uh how do those correspond to uh how do how do how does propositional meaning correspond to sentence meaning right so how do parts of a sentence correspond to the different parts of a of a, of a proposition of a claim and stuff like that right so that's uh that's kind of what semantics is uh literally semantics i mean being the study of meaning uh language is so much more than just propositions um Actually, when you're a child, the uh, the first types of speech acts that children learn to use are manipulative speech forms, like you know, like calling for your mom or give me food, like commands and stuff like that, right? And those aren't propositions; those are you know, like commands and just manipulative speech acts. So there's so much more to language than just you know propositions and things like that and claims. But uh, but that's sort of like the thing that's bit, uh, most focused on within semantics because uh, I think, I think mainly because there's like, there's sort of already like a methodology we can use. That's a traditional, there's like the methodology used, used for semantics were sort of borrowed from philosophy. So there was already, there were already tools from philosophy that were, we were able to use for studying meaning in, in particular propositional meaning because philosophers are super interested in propositions. So it was, I think it's, it was just, that's sort of an accident of history. It's just easier to look at propositions. And there's a lot of things to say about them still. We're still studying propositions, like how they're constructed, how languages, how languages construct propositions, right? There's, there's a lot to say about them still. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I do, I do that. And uh, I, uh, the languages I, so lots of linguists have a language focus um, often, not, not always, but, Usually by sometimes by accident. So lots lots of people work on English, of course, right? Uh, but very often linguists will take a particular interest in a specific language or a particular language family. And my my language or language groups of interest were the Mixtec, uh, the Mixtec languages, um, which are spoken in southern Mexico, and then also uh, a language called Waimi which belongs to the Chipchen family, which is spoken in like Panama and also Costa Rica and, and Colombia. So those are like, those are the two, two language groups that, um, that I've, I kind of know a little bit more than average about. Yeah. Yeah. So stuff I've written on, 
are mainly mainly concern the semantics of uh, the semantics of sentences in those languages, in particular indefinite constructions. Um, how those languages do that, right? How they construct indefinite indefinite pronouns and stuff like that. What are their meanings? What are what are their meaning contributions to sentences? So stuff like that. So that, that's that's what I do. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know you mentioned a lot about um, like the schools you went to. And I was just wondering kind of like what your path was um, to get into linguistics and how did you originally become interested in this field? So I feel like, I feel like my, my case is a bit uh, unusual um, because uh, I would meet with, um, I, I would, when I started grad school and I met other people, obviously I met other people in linguistics, other, other peers, and we would talk about how we got into, into the field. And often what I often heard was that, you know, they, they had someone that told them about linguist linguistics, like during, they might have had exposure to it in high school or something like that. My, my story is a bit different because I learned about linguistics from Wikipedia. I finished high school. I went through a bit of college, not knowing like my first two years of college, I went through not knowing, still not knowing li what linguistics was because I had no exposure to it. I'm from a small town in central California uh, we don't have a lot of resources for stuff. Um, I, uh, I started, uh, after I finished high school, I went to a community college in Fresno. Uh, and, um, you know, I went through that whole time, not just, just not knowing, no, having no exposure to linguistics at all. Right. Um, but I was interested at, at least at the time, that time I was interested in, um, uh, Mesoamerican culture and language. Um, I was I kind of, you know, I went through some phase where I wanted to know more about the Aztecs and the Mayans. And uh, I, I mean, there's at least a few more resources for that. Those are ideas and types of studies that are a little bit more salient to like the layman. So I was aware of those things. I wanted to learn more about them. And uh, fortunately I had internet access at the time and uh, I was, I had, I had Wikipedia available to me. So I would go on Wikipedia and just read about whatever I was interested at the moment, in particular, uh, that stuff. So I would read about the history of the Aztecs and the Mayans. And um, I, uh, in reading about them, I became exposed to like words, Nahuatl words, Mayan words, stuff like that. They were spelled a weird way. And uh, I just had this intuition like about them having sounds that were not available in my languages, which were English and Spanish. And so I thought, well, I want to learn how to pronounce these words right. Like, I wonder how the Aztecs pronounce the word Quetzalcoatl or how the Mayans pronounce this other word, right? Like uh, Yatan or something like that, right? So I, I, I would click on, you know, everything. Like, there's hyperlinks all over the articles. I would click on the links and uh, look at like how things were spelled in IPA. And so that made things more specific about like how these words were correctly pronounced. And so I learned the IPA that way. And I was just like, I thought it was really interesting and cool. I went on the IPA page and I found out that uh, I learned about the field of phonetics and through that, the field of linguistics. And so I thought, oh, okay, like this is, this is a whole like, like this is a whole research discipline dedicated to the study of like language structure. That's kind of interesting. I wonder if like I could take a class in that. And in, luckily at my community college, which was Fresno city college, um, 
there was a linguistics 101 course that was offered there. So my last year in community college, before I transferred to UC San Diego, um, I decided to just check it out, to check out the Ling 101 course. And it was one of like the most fun classes I'd ever taken. It was one of the most interesting courses. We, The professor, I forget his name, his last name was Fitzer. He was a master's student at Fresno State at the moment. And he just, he made it just a fun course. Uh, the classroom, and he was, he had a, he had a lot of resources he, in terms of the student body, the, in terms of the students that, in terms of my classmates at the time, uh, he had a lot to draw from to, in order to make the course as interesting as it could. I still remember that class, that Linguistics 101 course I had at Fresno City College. There was uh, a couple Southeast Asians who spoke like Thai, Vietnamese. Uh, there was uh, an Italian guy. There was uh, another Spanish speaker. There was um, there was this uh, there was a Chinese speaker or Cantonese speaker. There was this woman. There was this girl there who spoke French and Arabic, and I think she was like West African. Uh, there was another guy who was like Tajik, and so he spoke Persian. He he spoke uh, Russian and Dari, either Farsi or Dari, one of those. So there was just a lot of like languages in the classroom. Right. And so that that's what made the class even more fun. Uh, that's what that that's what really solidified my interest in, in linguistics. And so after I transferred, I transferred to UC San, San Diego as a math as a math major. Uh, I decided I, I wanted to check to see if there was like there were more classes at UC San Diego. And of course, you know, there's the department there. Uh, the next class I took was actually syntax with John Moore which was like the most hardcore class that they have actually. So I went from like, Oh, one Oh one to the most hardcore one. <laughs> every, after that, every other course was easy, but um, I, yeah. And then I, uh, I enjoyed it and um, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I enjoyed it and I, I ended up double majoring. Yeah. So, and then I had a great advice I, while I was doing the major, I had a really good research advisor. I did a, I did an undergraduate thesis and my advisor, uh, he encouraged me to do grad school. So then that's how I ended up doing grad school and getting a PhD. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And, um, is there any advice uh, you would give to someone who's interested in this field? Yeah. Uh, the advice I would give, uh, I would give, I would give cautionary advice um, because uh, it is a small field, like every, like it's, it's not a big depart, like at any, at any given university, it's not a large department. Um, it's much, it's always much smaller than the main like disciplines, like uh, anthropology, sociology, history, all the STEM stuff, right? Um, it's, uh, it's always a smaller department. Uh, it is like, a, so it's a lesser known discipline uh, when you're, seeking out jobs um and uh like the job in terms of like academic jobs it is uh because it is so small at any given university like there's there's the the number of academic jobs is kind of dwindling um like it's getting smaller and smaller and there aren't like enough new universities popping up there aren't enough like new linguistics departments popping up to um, create for there to be like more academic jobs available to like recent PhDs and stuff like that. 
So I would be cautioner. I would I would caution people about that. Like definitely do it. Definitely do a PhD for like research if you're if you're super interested in it. If you're only if you're super interested in it, like and you're not so worried about job prospects, you're gonna find a job either way. Like a PhD is gonna help you a lot to find like many many types of jobs, right? But uh, if you're thinking of like just specifically being a linguistics professor. That's you might I I would tell someone to like be a little bit more open minded. Um, there are there are a lot of job, things you can do with a linguistics degree other than uh, other than being like a linguistics professor. Um, something that's really growing now is computational linguistics. Um, there's a bit more of a uh, uh, I would say communication between. Um, computational linguistics and uh, NLP or um, other, I guess, applied sciences that are really interested in basically getting computers to speak language and stuff like that. Uh, you know, like developers of Siri uh, or any type of like, like interface, like cert, like cert, any type of um computer service that involves speaking or talking or texting something like Siri, like Siri talks to you to give you directions or to ask you stuff. She's supposed to do it in a very natural, like natural way, like to sound like use very natural sentence structure, very natural like pronunciation and stuff like that. That all involves linguistics. Like there's a, you, there's a linguistics background you need like that. Those programmers need to, uh, to really build that. And so, and, um, and there's, there are going to be more services like that, like, uh, like that, that kind of field, that interest that like tech industries have in language, that's something that's going to grow. And if you really want to find a job with a linguistics degree, I would recommend maybe knowing some statistics, maybe taking some statistics courses, maybe knowing a computer language and, um, and kind of, kind of looking into that right even if it's not so interesting at the moment like being more open-minded to, to to that type of stuff um there's also speech pathology if you really want to work with people there's um speech pathologists make a good amount of money i think i think of several years ago like the average was 90k um so that might be more now um and that's you know that that can be fun too if you like working with kids and uh, helping people, helping well, in particular, helping kids like learn to, like I don't know, speak and or like how to overcome their their speech pathologies, basically. So, yeah, so that that's another route. There, there's definitely jobs in linguistics. It's just academia might be filling up, and so I would recommend people to uh, maybe look beyond academia, but still pursue a PhD too, because a PhD does help. Like that's going to make you more competitive for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And um, so I know you touched on indigenous languages earlier. Mm -hmm. um, why do you feel that it's important to study these languages? Oh, sure. Um, indigenous languages. Um, well, they're important to study for the reason that it's important to study any minority language, any language that's understudied, any language that, uh, Western knowledge doesn't have much documentation on, right? Um, it basically, basic documentation of any minority languages basically contributes to, like, for one, it contributes to our, like, 
just our wealth of just the wealth of knowledge we have about human human history and human knowledge how human knowledge has been expressed or how humans talk to each other right like some group in like an isolated part of the world how they how they spoke we can have a record of that if they are documented and yeah that that's just that's documentation of our own heritage is like you know uh, uh, as humans basically right that's one way that they spoke we speak a certain way. Uh, it'd be nice to just to have that recorded to kind of understand ourselves better. On um, which brings me to part two. Uh, every time we study uh, a minority language that's underdocumented, we do it does help us understand what humans are capable of in terms of linguistic expression, right? Um, if we were to only study English and French and very commonly studied languages, that would help us to understand sort of the how language is uh, like it would help us understand like the, the, the structure of language, how the mind builds language. Right. Uh, and the diversity of the, the ways that the mind can diverge or different minds can diverge in structuring linguistic expressions right what the mind is capable of in building language in um in being creative with language to uh to accommodate their own like environment or social circumstances uh, it also tells us about universals what are the universal aspects of language the things that seem to derive from our own from like from the uh, human beings own like instincts or like natural instincts and uh you know their own nature uh what are you know what are those things what are the what are the points of variation when we talk about like how language can be structured and what are what are the things that are universal and really tell us like the deep aspects of uh what the how the human mind works right um so i mean we can learn all that with by study we can learn a lot about that by studying just common languages but minority languages help us that much more right with when it comes to minority languages uh they can be some of them are going to be maybe a bit exotic they're going to have features that you don't see in and uh, as common languages such as uh, things like evidentials right which are what you get in many native american languages in um, languages in central asia on the tibetan plateau stuff like that um uh maybe uh different gender systems uh so for example animate inanimate gender systems versus the feminine masculine gender system that's common in european languages uh animate inanimate is something you find gender systems is something you find in like also great lakes native american native american languages um just different just different um different ways that a grammar can be different different um types of grammatical properties that languages can have that could be exotic and therefore tell us more about what the human mind is capable of uh when it talks about when it comes to how like our linguistic instincts are expressed right and then also again like what is universal because if we're looking talking if we look at all the languages in the world and we find out that they all have verbs and nouns then then yeah like that seems to be a linguistic universal that tells us more about um the foundation of like or i'm sorry that tells us more about like 
the tread like the, the instincts of the human mind like how how uh, it really starts to build language i i guess um or i guess put another way um you know uh, yeah just what what we what we instinctually want to do what all humans want to do when when they want to express themselves linguistically right they want to talk with verbs and nouns and stuff like that so that's kind of those are like the two things so yeah so one to just have like a record of like our human heritage right and then two like to to just tell us more to allow to allow us to see what are the universals and points of variation in how human language works this concludes part one of this interview. Thank you again to Professor Cisneros for doing this, and I hope everyone has a great day. Stay tuned for part two. See you next time.